is up, my friends, my nerds, my sci-fi lovers. You're listening to Sci-Fi, and I am your host, Jesse Mercury. I might sound a little different to you today. I am a little sick, so this is what it sounds like when I can't breathe out my nose. Uh, but I'm super excited to be uh, bringing this show to you today. I have an uh, amazing moment of discovery that we're about to experience together. I just got my new synthesizer in the mail, my Korg Minilog four-voice polyphonic analog synthesizer, and I've never played a note on it, and I'm about to play it for the first time, and I'm going to record it for you, so you, this is it right now. This is the very first notes I've ever played on my new synthesizer. You can hear the joy in my voice, because because it's there. Anyway, here we go. I'm going to see if I can make something cool sounding happen on this. Right after I played those notes, I fell down the rabbit hole and played for like half an hour. So <laughs> I don't I'm not going to play all of it for you because it sounds a lot of it sounds like garbage. But I did start playing the chords from Elliot uh, once I found a cool sound and I was fucking around with the sound while I was doing it. So here, here's a little bit of that so you can get a taste of uh, what the synthesizer can do. could do this all day and when i'm done with this podcast i will do this all day <laughs> uh god damn it sounds good it feels good to play i'm really excited about it so i've been i've been playing in this new band for my uh, sci-fi project and you've you've heard naomi on the show before naomi was on the show and basically convinced me to start this band and we've been rehearsing we rehearse on sundays now and naomi's been playing on this uh this digital synthesizer and she's got some great sounds on it but i really wanted the whole thing to be analog so i bought this little baby to replace her digital synthesizer so if everything goes according to plan she's gonna be playing on this one and i'm gonna start designing some sounds for her to play with it was really important to me for the band to have all sounds that that uh, that we designed so that the band will have just a really unique sound. Um, it's going to be very different from the albums, actually. It's going to be, you know, if a new idea comes up, a new sound comes up that sounds better than what's on the album or just different in some way that we think is cool, we're just going to run with it. Uh, Chris Berrios is playing the drums with us. And he's doing some really cool stuff. He's playing uh, acoustic drums. I was originally planning on having him play electric drums, but he brought in all these cool ideas about ways to make the drum kit sound different and uh, different ways to approach the drumming so that it would be, you know, it would just fill out that percussive space in a different way than what happens on the albums. Because you can't recreate, you know, what's on the albums with a live percussionist. And I really wanted a live percussionist. I didn't want to play to a drum machine. So he's just doing amazing stuff and it's i can't wait till we start playing shows and eventually at some point i'll have a recording for you guys to hear on the podcast 
Uh, I'm also working on this new song called Lightspeed, which is very dancey, kind of in the vein of Traveler, but um, it's uh, inspired by the idea of this person from space coming and taking you away on these miraculous adventures, like in the vein of Doctor Who or, uh, you know, the, like traveling with like Mal Reynolds and his crew on Firefly or uh, it's a, it's a very common trope and it's something I've always been very fascinated with and had dreams about. <laughs> uh, so last night I saw Interstellar for the first time and I know I'm late to the party on this, Maybe I can like play some, uh, I'm going to play some, some chords while I talk about this. Last night, I saw Interstellar for the first time. And I know I'm late to the party. But it was amazing. I was just completely swept away. I can't, I can't do that and <laughs> take myself seriously. Uh, I was completely swept away by the movie. And I talk a lot about things that I want to see in movies. I want more practical effects. I want more models. I want more focus in the special effects on the storytelling. And I, I God damn it. It was like someone made a movie for me. Not someone. Christopher Nolan made a movie for me. Uh, it was three hours long. The moment the movie ended, I was like, oh, I want to watch like three more hours of this. I wanted to see where the story went. I'm not going to give any spoilers about this movie for anyone who hasn't seen it. You know, I'll probably do a whole episode about it sometime in the future after I've digested it more. But uh, it was just like consummate sci-fi production where everything felt so tangible and real. The The robots in the movie were the, the coolest design when the first robot showed up. I was like, oh, my God, it's so cool. I'd never seen anything done quite like that before. Um, it was obviously took a lot of cues from 2001, which is one of my all time favorite movies and just like brought it to a modern audience. It was, it was perfect. It was amazing. And the movie takes huge leaps. It asks you to take huge leaps with it. And I was so on board with every single one of them. And even when I wasn't on board, I came around very quickly because the movie did such a good job of presenting these new ideas. There are things in the film that are incredibly fantastic, and it's not all, you know, grounded in, in science the way that it, it was kind of presented in the media. But those things are really interesting and cool and magical, and it's like, you know, movie magic. And that's it's every, everything I want out of a movie. Uh, I want to talk about it more, but I don't want to give any spoilers away and I want to talk about it with someone. So I'm going to, I'm going to wait and do that on a future episode. Sci-Fi on Trial has come out. The new episode all about, uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull came out last Sunday. I'm so proud of this episode of, I, I, I love this. I just love it. I, it's really just like really solid podcasting. And of course I'm biased cause I made it, but uh, it's just really interesting and entertaining. That show, I feel like I take everything that I learned from producing this show and apply it to sci-fi on trial. That show is much more consistent as far as the structure and what we're trying to achieve on that show. It's the same basic outline for every episode or for every trial, at least. Whereas this show, I just kind of go all over the place. But, um, you know, I just I'm really, really proud of it. I really love it. And I really would love for you to check it out. Uh, yeah, so head on over to scifiontrial.com to learn about the panelists, to find the episodes, and uh, it's, it's just a lot of fun. 
I wanted to give a special thank you to Chris, new listener in Florida. Chris discovered the show through the, the Skillshot Pincast crossover, and then he actually went and downloaded the Sci-Fi album. I was at work, and I got this notification that someone had downloaded my album, and uh, someone I'd never met before, and whenever that happens, uh, it's amazing. It's such an incredible feeling to be able to reach out across the internet and have someone else have a experience with music that I've created. That's literally the thing I want out of life the most, is to have you know, things that I create, um, get into the hands of other people. And it's just amazing. So Chris, thank you so much. I really hope you're enjoying the music, but thank you for giving me that experience of, um, you know, succeeding in a small way at, at what I'm trying to do here. Uh, I have a couple of new patrons that I need to thank Yael and Sarah, two extremely close friends of mine. Yael, I met in college and we had that funny moment where you you sit next to each other in class you don't know anybody it was freshman year it was like a linguistics class no 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 it was communications class <laughs> and we sat next to each other and we just we were friends before we even spoke if you know what i mean like you you feel a connection with someone like you your old souls who've met in a past life and uh, or in another dimension or as another being of some kind and you you meet again and you know each other already and you'd slip right into friendship that's what it was like with Yael, and she's a very amazing person. Uh, and then Sarah, Sarah and I had a very different uh, beginning to our friendship. <laughs> she did not like me. We worked together at Starbucks, and she thought that I was really annoying, which is fair, because I am. But she, I, I'm, I was very chipper and uh, friendly to everyone, and she thought that it was like fake somehow. And then once I was around long enough, she realized that that's just how I am. And she and I became like the best of friends. And her, our friendship has like so enriched my life. You know, I, it's hard. It's hard to, I don't know how to describe Sarah and how much I love Sarah, but I'll just say that Sarah exists and I love her. <laughs> So Sarah and Yael became my two newest patrons. So I'm now uh, $2 a month closer to my goal of, of podcast self-sufficiency. <laughs> uh, my, my dream is to have this grow enough to the point where maybe I could do this full time. That would be really exciting. And right now I'm getting five bucks a month for, for the podcast and for the sci-fi project in general. And I'm just going to keep plugging away. I'm going to keep adding cool new things to the sci-fi project. Uh, cause I just want to, I just want to make, make things and put them out there from growing up watching Star Trek. You have this world where people can just follow their passions and do what they want to do because there's no material need. People don't want for anything. So if you want to be in Starfleet, you join Starfleet. If you want to uh, be a musician, you just be a musician. And everyone contributes to society in the way they see fit. That's ingrained so deeply in my psyche that I don't know how to get away from it. So I will always, you know, I will always contribute artistically to the world because that's what I feel like I'm supposed to do. And, uh, and I, I dream every day, I dream of a life where that is what I do for a career as well as what I do for my passion. I was at work the other day and my coworker asked me, she says, so tell me about, you know, your music and your podcasting and stuff. And I, you know, I told her a little bit about it and she said, oh, so that's, that's your hobby. And my blood just boiled instantly. I was like, no, it's not a fucking hobby. It's my, it's my soul. <laughs> It's my life. It's my, it's my passion. It's everything that matters to me about who I am. And, and then her response to that was, no, it's your hobby. Cause you don't make any money at it. Uh, and I was like, God damn you. Like, I hate, I hate that. I hate that whole mentality. I hate that mindset, uh, that we are valued and judged by how much money we make at something. 
if if going to work was making music and making podcasts, I can't even fathom how wonderful that would be. I mean, that is my dream. That is what I want is to wake up every day and and be creative, be creatively unfettered by, you know, the 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 day-to-day grind and the trap that we all kind of fall into of having to succeed in a capitalistic society. Um, I want to succeed creatively. That's what I want. So for every for every patron, every person who donates a dollar to me per month, a dollar to follow my passions, a dollar to enjoy these podcasts and enjoy the music videos and everything else that I'm doing, uh, it means so much to me. Every one of those dollars is like, it feels like like a thousand dollars to me. It just feels like, like I, I, it's so it's so hard to describe. I mean, I make you know I make my living leasing apartments. But those $5 a month I'm getting right now for podcasting means so much more to me than all of the rest of the money that I make to support myself because those those dollars came to me doing what I love and doing what I need to do and doing what I was written to do. I mean, I feel like my brain was coded to to be creative. Like songs write themselves in my head when I'm really anywhere during the day. Like I when I started working on Lightspeed uh last week, the song was done before I even put finger to keyboard. I mean, the song was done. The lyrics were done, the the structure was done, and now it's just a, a process of finding the right sounds and finding the right arrangement to make what's in my head come to life. And if I don't do that, my my brain like goes it short circuits. I can't I can't ignore the things that are in my mind that have to be made. I I'm just one of those people and I you know that's what I'm good at. That's what I was built to do and I've known that since I was very young. So it's so exciting to me to have a way to even see a potential of a future in which I can make a career out of that. So while it may sound kind of silly for me to be this excited over $5 a month, those that to me is uh, it's like a beacon that lights the way towards the future that I might be able to create for myself. Cause I'm, you know, I'm 31. I, I, when I was younger, I always thought that I would be discovered and, uh, you know, get a record deal and all the things that you hear about that don't necessarily happen that much anymore in the digital age. Uh, now you hear about people like Jenna Marbles who have a YouTube channel that went, you know, bonkers. And now she can maybe make a living off of that. And it's not like these people get super rich anymore. They just make enough to get by and make their creative thing happen. And that's what I want. That's what I'm looking for. Uh, And I feel like Patreon is the first thing I've ever discovered that maybe could lead the way to that. So I'm going to pursue this. And uh, anyone who helps out, I, I just appreciate it so much. And I mean, you know, downloading the album for a couple of dollars. I mean, that also helps tremendously. And it's just, it's exciting. It's, a, it's an exciting thing to be working on. It kind of gets a little bit of a spring in my step. I've got the request several times now from like three or four people who said that they wanted to support the sci-fi project, but they did not want to uh, join the page, join Patreon because just like another website and they didn't want to sign up for something like that. Uh, and they asked if there was any way they could contribute um, just as like a one time amount. So I have set that up through PayPal. If you go to my website, jessemercury.com uh, and click on support, there is now two ways to do that through PayPal or through Patreon. Okay, we're getting back to basics in this episode. We're going back 
to the next generation. Uh, that's right. Audrey is back. We're continuing our journey through Star Trek. This time we invited a couple friends to come and help us through. Ian Adams is back. You'll remember for him from episodes 19 and 20 when we talked about his uh, Star Trek watching group, The Red Shirts. He's a Star Trek expert. He knows so much about Star Trek and it's really fun to have him come on the show. And then Kayla Greet joined us as well. Uh, Kayla, when we did the, the Skillshot Pincast, she and I started talking about uh, Next Generation and this light bulb went off in my head. It's like, oh my God, Kayla, I want you to come on our next panel discussion about TNG season three. Uh, Naomi was going to join us, but the scheduling didn't work out at the last second. And Tiffin was also invited to join us, but um, she had a work thing where she had to be there and couldn't join us either. But, you know, we have many more seasons to go in the future. So uh, I, we really enjoyed this sort of panel format for doing the Next Generation discussion, uh, opening it up a little bit from the first two seasons where Audrey and I did it, just the two of us. So we're definitely going to keep doing that in the future. Uh, and let's get to it. So here is our TNG season three panel. You know what? You know what? Maybe I'll maybe I'll play us into this one. <laughs> here we go. Fills for me. They, they changed it when they moved to Wikia. Oh, he knows. Uh, yeah, now it's memory-alpha.wikia.com. Yeah. Bullshit. I mean, that's fine. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> it's a bunch of crap. I don't deal well with change. <laughs> we fear change. I demand all websites to have the same address from now until eternity. <laughs> what, google.com? <laughs> gurgle it's now gurgle that's right, right. How, did I, how did I miss that one alright let's get excited here we go let's do it oh I'm pumped hooray <laughs> uh, so I really hate that you're not wearing headphones it's throwing, <laughs> it's throwing off my whole game just I, don't look at him for just, the whole time I, just your ears I can't do, do you need me to put him in fake headphones <laughs> I, you know he probably needs to hear us or whatever yeah, so I maybe guess not. we could just buy some of those like, uh, Princess Leia buns and you could put them Come on, it's close Aww. enough, right? I bet that'd be so cute. <laughs> I think you should, that's a look you should consider. Uh, what's your name? What's your name? Ian. Ian, got it. <laughs> Sorry, that was rude. No, good segue. Let's introduce everyone. Uh, so this is kind of like a best of sci-fi with Jesse Mercury episode. Uh, Audrey and I, back in the very first episode, started our quest to talk about every season of Star Trek The Next Generation. We did season two in episodes seven and eight. And it's been a long fucking time. It's episode 32. We're back to it. We're, we're making this it. shit happen. We're going to get there or die trying. I don't want to die. <laughs> so we're going to get there. Well, it's gonna <laughs> okay. uh, so Audrey's back. Audrey, say hello. Hello. You Audrey, can call me Jeff. What's, what's new in your life, Jeff? <laughs> uh, you know, I'm recording a lot of music. 
and just doing my thing. And that's kind of part of the reason we haven't gotten together in a while. I think yeah. we've both been super busy, but, uh, that but yeah, is the truth. you know, living life in Seattle, being nerdy, getting jiggy with it. <laughs> See, <laughs> uh, yeah, here we are. I'll have a new EP out soon, so watch nice. out for that world. And then uh, back on the show, who you haven't been back since episode 20, yeah. we have Ian Adams. Hello. Star Trek aficionado. Glad to be back. Yeah. Thanks for having me. The man who knows more about Star Trek than even myself. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not going to say no to that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ian's birthday was a couple days ago. Yeah. Yeah. The, big, the big 09. The big 09, yeah. yeah. You're a leap year, baby. <laughs> yeah, your birthday is February 29th. Yeah. So you're oh my gosh, yeah. you're little. I know. Yeah. Aww. They shouldn't have let me in the bar until 2064. <laughs> Four more years and you'll have double-digit age. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's exciting. So uh, for all the women out there, sleeping with Adam is a crime. So please don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just made a horrified face yeah because he called me adam yeah you called him adam yeah, called I you did. adam ian adams <laughs> i don't know what i'm saying mr adams also known as ian only if you're uh, yeah so right the, the the joke. That yeah. Your name. okay whatever i'm talking about <laughs> someone else don't get my, uh, <laughs> my name wrong come on uh and then we're drinking some uh some hot, hot toddies mercuries. Mm. <laughs> uh with herbal tea and maple syrup because that's what i have around the house and they're really delicious last night we also drank delicious hot toddies mm -hmm. when we recorded sci-fi on trial and this lady was there say hello i was i'm kayla hi kayla's back kayla's yeah. back after only when, an episode away hours yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you were on episode uh you were on like a couple episodes ago yeah i was on your second oh, one that was about 28 weekends, and then i was true. We did our crossover and 27 together. yeah you're on episodes 27 and time. 28 and 32 yeah. <laughs> yeah, kayla were you knitting for all of those uh no because the first time i was really drunk on this couch <laughs> she was <laughs> it was um, my birthday i'm starting to see how you do this jesse this is like my party time is you doing a podcast hammered and you're like yeah. here say all these things you're not going to mean tomorrow so we're here for a very noble purpose we're here to talk about star trek the next generation season three before we talk about star trek uh next generation uh there's like star trek news that we have to address uh yeah. ian you want to start us off brian fuller has been named showrunner for the new series yeah the new star trek series that's coming out in january and that's really exciting he wrote a bunch of really really good episodes um on voyager two really really good he got his start as a writer on deep space nine oh, i didn't uh, know that he wrote two really good episodes on that. One was um, Empok Nor. Where oh, I love this, that episode. Other... Yeah, the sister station. Yeah, the sister station. It's like being on a wasteland version of Deep Space Nine, where yeah. everyone's like trying to kill each other. It's pretty fucking rad. And then he also wrote uh, the other one that he wrote for Deep Space Nine was um, I can't remember the name of it, but it, it it was one while Kira was pregnant, and there was this serial killer who was killing all of her old oh, yeah. resistance cellmates. Yeah. I see a pattern. Yeah. This guy likes crazy people killing people. Yeah. And now he's in charge. He's in charge. <laughs> yeah. And for me, even more exciting, Nicholas Meyer was just hired as a writer. The Absolutely. Man, the man who wrote The Wrath of Khan <laughs> and directed The Wrath of Khan yeah. is going to be one of the writers on the new Star Trek show. Holy shit. Like and crazy, crazy news. So exciting. Like, and, and he's, he's so good anyway. Like. I mean, Star Trek aside, you did time after time, uh, the day after, just a really cool, like, um, you know, post-nuclear bomb movie. Um, 
I think it was a made-for-TV movie. Anyway, <laughs> the um, he even wrote like a lot of the funniest bits in Star Trek IV: The Voyage Home. Like he wrote those. Oh, like he's because he wrote he, Star Trek VI, didn't he? Or did yeah, he just direct it. it? Yeah, I didn't know he was involved in four at all. Yeah, yeah, Crazy. and uh, but then he just went off into the sunset and never heard from him again. <laughs> he like went to another dimension. He's yeah. returned to write more Star Trek. I mean, it's glorious. He, yeah. he, was, he laid dormant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then a couple episodes ago, I talked about uh, Star Trek Axanar, the fan film that's being sued by Paramount. And for me, the thing that really gets me is that they've been turning a blind eye to fan films for decades. Yeah. And it's like, this one was crowdfunded and it made a ton of money because they have a really good concept. And then, especially good proof of concept movie. I mean, you know, well, are they, are they planning to make money off of it? Well, no, well it's, it's all donation based. Money, it's all donation our, based. Yeah. So there's it's, like, it's like a loophole kind of, yeah. Well, apparently not. All of the, yeah. the, the producers are, <laughs> yeah. are drawing salary in their budget. They, they, to their yeah. credit, they post their budget online so that donors, yeah. you know. I'm not saying that I side with them. I'm just saying, like, right. legally, you know, right. like, if there's, like, this much money involved, no wonder they, like, raised it on yeah. the ground. Right. You I think know, that's because the main fan concern. films is, like, one thing, you know, but, like, they're char- they're talking about, like, this big right. production. But, and it's, like, it's not their fault that they made more money. Like, they made, <laughs> right. like, a million dollars on Kickstarter yeah. or something like that. Yeah. And, like, a lot of these other shows don't make that much money, but... I, I I feel like it's a strange line to draw in the sand and say, like, this fan film is okay because they made $100,000. Right. You know, uh, like Renegades probably made probably like at least it like tens of thousands. Figures. Yeah. I, I want to say. Like, yeah, 200, I'm pretty sure. That sounds right. Yeah, Renegades made like 200,000. They have like Star Trek actors in it. Yeah. Um, Directed by Tim Ross. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a pretty legit wow, that's, like operation. That's crazy. But, and like Paramount doesn't care. CBS doesn't care. I mean, like, like I, I even, I met Alec Peters at the con last year. The, the Alec to, Peters who's making Axanar. Yeah. yeah. Right. Writer, director, producer. Uh, no, not director. Um, and star, Garth of Einstein, right? Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, he was a totally nice guy. Like, I, I really enjoyed talking with him. And, um, you know, I mean, generally seems to have a pretty good head on his shoulders. There was one really, like, shady thing that came out after this. I, I think it was, like, the day that the lawsuit was announced. Uh-huh. That, that did leave a bad taste in my mouth. And that was, um, apparently, Tony Todd had left. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, you like told me about three this. three or four months prior. Yeah. Tony Todd... You might remember from the next generation as Kern Worf's brother. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, um, he appears in this season as yeah, the father. Yeah. He sure does, yeah. and he's a uh, what's that horror movie? Uh, Halloween. Oh wait, no, 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 no. no uh, Candyman. Candyman. He's Candyman. Oh and no Candyman. way. Yeah. Shame on me. Audrey's mind was just blown. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but and so it was a dispute over money. Yeah. Right. Which is one of the things that Axanar has been doing is that they're paying their talent. And I guess he wasn't happy with the amount that he was getting. And like he was having a lot of frustrations like on the set with, you know, all the delays and everything. And so he was like, well, you know what? I can I can find work elsewhere. But then we only found out about this the day that this came out when Tony Todd said, oh, yeah, no, I've I've not been involved with this for a while. And. In the meantime, Axanar's continued to raise money on the premise that Tony Todd is oh, really? oh. going to be an Axanar. And that's, oh. that's kind of shitty. That's bad yeah. news. Yeah. 
So I don't know, like... So what are your thoughts now with all this stuff coming out? Do you still support Axanar? Are you still as gung-ho? It's like, I really just want to see the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I wish there was no drama behind it. I wish that the producers would stop, like, taking the low road and doing, like, dishing out personal insults to everyone, mm. which is... Is like, that that's happening? Yeah, it's totally been happening, like, all over their Facebook page. What? Uh, and then there were even, like, when Tony Todd was like, yeah, no, I'm not involved with that anymore. They were like... Who, uh, who are the producers? <clears throat> oh, sorry. No, no. What was it? Who were who are the producers? Like, who's producing? It? Do they have well, experience? It's, it's... Are they? Yeah. Like, I'm just wondering if these are like internet trolls, like that have <laughs> have power now, or <laughs> no, like, like, these like are actually reputable producers. Robert Meyer Burnett, who um, he made uh, Free Enterprise. Okay. Which was a love story about William Shatner, um, <laughs> and uh, Alec Peters hadn't hadn't really done anything in movies. Or film or whatever. The director, whose name I can't remember, he has done stuff, and I can't remember what. And it's a pretty small crew, which is one of the things that I, like, I tend to give them a lot of slack for on the delay side of stuff. Because, you know, if you only got like a couple people to you know yeah. build sets and all that sort of stuff, uh, it's going to take a while. But... Um, but these are like people who have worked before. That's all I'm trying right, to like right, right. figure out. The, the internet, like going, I mean, not internet, sorry, just uh, personal attacks kind of like makes me raise an eyebrow. And I'm like, so are these just some like guys that are just like, right. And there was, talking there was to like, people, but no, they seem to be semi-professionals. Yeah. Putting, trying to put this movie out. And Alec Peters was like, you know, uh, how about Tony Todd can't act? And oh, like, really? Yeah, it was like, like trying to just really like tear him down. And I was oh, like, oh, geez. man, don't do that. He's a really Whoa. nice guy. And he's like an absolute professional. Like, yeah. Oh. And he's a great actor. Yeah. He's a really good actor. I've seen him like a ton of stuff. He has literally brought me to tears in his performances. Yeah. Well, damn. Now I'm like, I know, but I just, still, I just want to see the movie. Cause the movie see, is this is the thing where like I go on a podcast and I'm like, yeah, stand with Axanar. And I'm like, then I find out I'm, I'm basically saying stand with this guy who's a dick to Tony Todd. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I don't then, know. But then that's the other thing too, is that like, I mean, when I met him, he was a really, really nice guy. Like yeah. shared a drink. It was, you know, like he signed. Uh, my, but my there's, a, there's a, there's a line that you don't cross, which is like name calling on yeah. the internet. Like that's yeah. shitty. Like that's. I don't know. They clearly don't have a PR department. Yeah. Right. yeah. Well, we'll keep our and, eye and on it and see where it goes. Too is that if you have a lawsuit, maybe like keep your mouth shut. Right. Totally, totally. <laughs> well, now I'm much more conflicted about that. But I know. It's, anyway, it's, let's, let's uh, make a decision now. Well, you can wait so. to see how things pan out. Yeah. yeah. Considering that this is, I'm sure this is going to take us many hours. Let's get into uh, <laughs> season three of Next Generation. Yes. Let's let's Woo! yeah. <laughs> And we're we're doubling down on this today because now we have uh, we have two two Star Trek experts and two Star Trek newbies. Yeah, because Kayla's relatively new to Next Generation as well. Well, because I watched it when uh, when I was a kid, my dad was really into it, so I have like formative memories of watching certain episodes and like I we ran the whole gamut. But I mean, I remember like the episode when Picard stuck in a, in a turbo lift with the children like vividly. Oh, I yeah. love that. Yeah. Yeah. That was so, such a good episode. Yeah. <laughs> we had to get over his fear of children. Um, so yeah, I remember watching it when I was little, but um, just because of Jesse's podcast, I started watching it again and be like, oh yeah, this is really a great show and I really enjoy it. So, so Ian's my counterpart to my new coming. Yeah. One of us. Yeah. One so of later, us. <laughs> uh, Audrey and I are going to fight Kayla and Ian 
to the death. I'm taking Ian because I don't think I could beat Kayla in a fight. Then I'll just die, I guess. Sorry. That's a risk I'm willing to take. That is not teamwork. There was one... Neither is betting us against each other. (laughs) (laughs) That's very true. I'm Um, excited about this one because Pulaski is gone. You're not a Pulaski fan? No, I hate her. I really liked her. I love Pulaski. She was cool. Sorry. I love her. That's all right. I know we're both on the couch and my, probably be on the same team. I'll just have Miles sit behind between us. Yeah, I mean, I like standard at all. That uh, that moment where she's like sharing that tea ceremony with Worf is where I really uh, kind yeah. of that was a good one. Just like fall in love with her. But Wait, something I'd forgotten. Need to date all the time. That's why. Yeah, so they set well, you up to not like first. her. Yeah, only at That's first. That's the thing. It shows growth. You know, she's yeah. not she's enough a, for me. She's got. Yeah. A lot of, <laughs> yeah. She's got a lot to learn, you know. Yeah, and they only she only got a season to grow. I mean, I'm sure yeah. she would have grown more. And and a show and, where everyone is like really perfect, having someone who starts off like kind of bigoted in a way is kind of an interesting thing. Like, let's yeah. see her let go of that over. And she is and from TOS the, too, so she's the, like from an older generation of right. yeah, surfing. the actress yeah from TOS. And that was also the season that they had the writers strike. The, the writers oh, strike. very true. Yeah. So Big like problem. that was why towards the end the stories were just like uh what are you yeah why? we yeah. talked about that a lot we did we sure uh, did yeah <laughs> uh, so season three a lot of changes happen yeah. in season three the uniforms the uniforms they had this kind of like God. spandex uniform seasons one and two mm-hmm. season three they replaced it with a looser wool. fitting wool garbadine that uh, allowed the actors bodies to breathe <laughs> and there's a lot of uh, I mean, there's a lot of stories out there about why this happened. Like John Luke's, uh, or sorry, <laughs> Picard's chiropractor. Yes, that's <laughs> the Stewart, I mean. oh, yeah. that's the official thing that got yeah. out there is that uh, Patrick Stewart's chiropractor told him he needed to stop wearing such tight outfits because it was hurting his back. <laughs> right. But the fan sort of uh, conjecture is that maybe it had something to do with the change in shape of uh, Commander William Riker. <laughs> <laughs> He's got that dad bod, you know, I'm into it. Yeah, he totally. I love it. Yeah, he's totally got that dad bod. My favorite thing about the uniforms this season is how every time somebody gets up, they have to grab the bottom of their shirt. Yeah, the card maneuver. (laughs) In order to stand up so that they could like pull it down and it looks right. Yeah. (laughs) I have to say, especially watching HD on Netflix, I feel like the new uniforms don't quite fit right. And they actually, they have two versions of them. Like they start out with ones that have two seams on the front. uh, And then halfway through season three, they're replaced with the final versions that have one seam down the back. The seam down the back ones, they all like pucker around the zipper and they Mm -hmm. kind of like look a little funny around the back. And uh, the 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 tricorder pouches are a little weird sitting on them too oh are they i didn't even notice that they do pucker all around that that little band that they keep there because they don't have pockets like the first season it's like don't they they have like a utility belt kind of pouch yeah they've got like some sort of utility belt i've never i've never quite figured out what that is but i want it i want to wear it all day long every day (laughs) like if you had one you would basically never like you would never take an hour in it yeah (laughs) (laughs) i am ready to beam anywhere at any moment of the day (laughs) uh riker Still has a beard. Still has a beard. Um, I have insight now into like the beard growing thing. I was thinking about that earlier today. It's like I was blowing my nose and blowing your nose with a beard is so much harder than blowing your nose without a beard. (laughs) So I'm sure that was a thing that Riker had to deal with. How do they how do they even blow their noses in the future? They must have some fancy way. 
They have some weird like microfiber Kleenex that like kills all germs. They They're colds. like transporters on a little stick. So somewhere in the universe, there's a planet that's just oh, God. God. <laughs> <laughs> That is it. That's we beam all. it to the planet of the boogers. Uh, there's also like a really big change in just the general visual aesthetic of the show. Like it looks to me like different lenses, different lighting, uh, different uh, like directorial choices. They go handheld a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and everything looks a little bit more real to me. I feel like it kind of uh, actually really defines the way that Star Trek will look all the way through the end of Voyager. Cause I think enterprise looks pretty different, but it's a pretty consistent like visual style from season three of next gen to the end of Voyager. Uh, and on top of that, we got a whole new writing staff. Um, and that's oh, like yeah. the biggest change. Yeah. I mean, that was when Ron Moore came on. He starts on the bonding, which oh, is halfway yeah, yeah. through season three. And he's like, a, a he, I think he submitted a spec script they got accepted. Yeah, that was how we got on. That's yeah. a lot of like the really kind of legendary yeah. next generation era. Which is incredible. Did, so, yeah. I hope that they, they do that with the new series. I, I know that'd be so cool. Uh, I would totally write a spec script. I know me too. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Michael Pillar comes on as the showrunner. And that's yeah. probably the biggest, the biggest change to the show. I would say is Michael Pillar's influence at this point, uh, because he's the one who, it's very important to him to have a little bit more continuity uh, to uh, mostly in character development where he really wants to kind of tell like a more human emotional story with the characters through like the continuity of their development. And boy, they had some emotional episodes this season. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And he, I've heard him say, you can't kill your characters, but you can hurt them. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So which explains O'Brien. Yes. <laughs> Especially on Deep Space Nine. Right. O'Brien just gets the shit kicked out of him all the time. <laughs> Uh, and then he also is very, very much interested in telling a story beneath the story. Like he wants to have some sort of human drama, focusing on what the human drama is and then building a sci-fi story around that is his, uh, is and his uh, bag. Yeah, it's yeah. my favorite part about this season. So Audrey, watching yeah. it for the first time, what was it like to get here? Like, tell, tell me about what that change looked like to you. Well, um, I found it less hokey in a lot of ways. In the first two seasons, which I really enjoyed. I like a good soap opera. There's a lot of uh, human interaction happening there. I don't hate Wesley. That's one thing I definitely wanted yeah. to, like, say. Yeah. Like, I was like, I have to remember to, like, make an outburst about I was going to defend him I actually him really like Wesley. Like, you know, he's... he. You Especially know. in this season, I yeah, would say. Yeah, he's really great in this season. I like how right away he's like, oh, I left my nanobots. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the first episode of season three, yeah. he fucks up everything. Like, oh, shit. Uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Kynan, what do I do? And she just looks at him. He's like, I know. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then there was like a an episode later on when... Um, Riker has to take command of the Hathaway for like war drills. Yeah. Yes. And Wesley goes back to his experiment. Yeah. And they specifically reference that. He's like, oh, you remember what happened last time I just yeah. left yeah. my experiment I love running. It. I love that there's like a continuity there, you know? Um, yeah. And it's, it's, it was, it's, it's my favorite season so far for sure. Um, yeah. Deservedly so, uh, yeah, for sure. It's it's a really wonderful season. That uh, you know, just just first impressions. Sorry, real quick. Yeah, yeah uh, go for it. The costumes, amazing, especially in that episode where Troy gets into 
that relationship with that negotiator she had like five amazing oh, outfits yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah and um uh what else what else what else i was thinking oh and jordy laforge like really coming into his own as a nerdy character is yeah. amazing too <laughs> so yeah there, there's just so much to love about this season i really really have been enjoying it <laughs> kayla on your recent rewatch did that did that change in style strike you um i guess i didn't notice too much because I just I have gaps between episodes, but yeah, I mean it was filmed like ninety, wasn't it? Was it eighty nine or ninety? So eighty eight, eighty nine, eighty nine, I think. Yeah, yeah. something. Yeah, so into a new decade. And, you know, like yeah. they're getting more attention. They're probably getting more money thrown at them too. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we saw Guinan show up last season, right? The season two. She. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, I love her addition to the character. I like having Beverly back a lot. Like I love Gates McFadden. She's yeah, fantastic. So She's. Yeah. Beautiful, and I love her. And I always will like defend Wesley because you know he's an adolescent who's lost his dad, and he's she's he's basically stuck with mom at work all day, and like hangs out with no one of his own age. It's like he could be a total dickhole. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he could yeah. be going through like the emo gothy phase, and he doesn't. So kudos yeah. to Wesley. I think he's a good character. Yeah, I don't I don't dislike Wesley. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's just irritating sometimes. I get that. I, I feel like there's moments where Wesley's written in a way that doesn't quite work for me but i do like the character overall mm -hmm. for sure and like especially i actually like him particularly in season one where he's just a kid because yeah. like he was my way in as a kid to kind of like have a a way to run around and be all the joyful child on the enterprise that i've always like wanted to, to be yeah. <laughs> and get a death sentence for playing football oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah that was <laughs> The thing about a character like Wesley is that when you have somebody his age, like on a TV show, people tend to like kind of uh, turn them into somebody who's fucking things up for everybody constantly, like Summer on Buffy, um, whom I don't know if you guys have seen it, but she's just the most annoying character. She's yeah. like every episode should just be like called episode 108. Summer fucks everything up for everyone again, <laughs> you know, like, um, but, you know, Wesley really he just adds to the crew, you know, like he is a good crew member. He's very brave and noble hearted. And uh, I just love him. I love him. Mm -hmm. He's great. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about uh, Wesley's exploits in episode one of season three, uh, Evolution, in which his science project, as you mentioned, his nanobots uh, kind of go crazy and take over the ship. And we have Dr. Stubbs, who is played by, that's his name, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah Paul, Paul Stubbs. Stubbs. Played by the guy who was the chief doctor in Scrubs. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I see where they got the name of the show now. Stub Scrubs. Ah. <laughs> so this episode, I feel like, is pretty good. But the one thing that really takes it over top for me is that uh, that moment when the nanites are kind of making the ship go crazy and all that music starts playing on the bridge. <laughs> That's the one moment that really stands out to me. Uh, how do you guys feel about this episode? Well, it was a good one. It was a good way to start the season. It was a good way to reintroduce Beverly. Um, because they automatically had like a little bit of like, they wrote it back into the show really well. You know, like she's like, I don't know anything about my son. You know, yeah, like, yeah. what do I do? And uh, Jean-Luc is just like, it's going to take some time. You've been gone for a while. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you. Like, settle down, woman. Yeah. <laughs> Although wasn't wasn't that episode where like Wesley had like a little bit of resentment about his mom leaving for a year there. I know I was, that in, wasn't the sometime nanobot, in the, 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 the nanites episode. It, was that was it might have been series, but yeah. I don't remember when, uh, well, there's a later episode where he's mad at Jean-Luc for, 
breaking the news to him about his father dying. Oh. That was the bonding. Yeah, that was the bonding. Right, yeah. Right, um, right. But uh, but I thought that in the first episode of season three is when he didn't even mention. I I don't remember him mentioning having any resentment though. So I could be wrong. I think it's more awkward when Wesley goes to um, Starfleet Academy and then comes back after being away for a while. That's when Beverly's like, I'm not sure I know my kid anymore. Oh, Aud- yeah, Audrey, you've gone that far. No, that's Menage Troy. Leaves, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, that's is it the game? Right. Yeah, when they have the game and uh, yeah. Wesley's got a girlfriend and they're the only two. Who's Ashley like, Judd? Not uh, hooked yeah. on the oh, whole. Oh, Robin Leffler, my dream How girl. I not notice that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, I'm getting my episodes mixed. Yeah, no worries. Sorry. They both left the and ship two. for a little while. So, uh, <laughs> uh, I do really like uh, the introduction of that like data core room in this episode. When they, oh yeah, which only you only see I think in one other episode, and it's like I think it might be the bonding, uh, but it's a really cool looking room where they're like inside of this like data core, and you see all this cool futuristic computer shit. That's where they hook data up to the nanites so that oh, you can talk. Oh yeah, that was a cool room. Yeah. Yeah. And I liked I liked that I liked that moment a lot where Data kind of speaks for those other machines. I like that Data mm-hmm. seems to kind of, you know, in his dispassionate way, be saying like these are you know, a life form that we should respect. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, it's a very solid episode. Yeah. yeah. I think that's why Wesley gets off the hook a little bit more. Cause he, he discovered a self-aware species. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like he kind of messed up pretty big here, kid, but like the ship's okay. And like, now we have more information. He's kind of the God of that species. Like he created yeah. that species. Yeah. There's somewhere out there. There's a sentient species that like, like was Fender. created by Wesley Crusher. I always like thought of them as like sea monkeys. Sea he just monkeys. has like a sea monkeys project. And They're it's space monkeys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Next up, we have Ensigns the Ensigns Command. of Command. One of the episodes in which Data goes alone to a planet. Gets kissed. To convince people to leave that planet. Uh, the same thing happens like several times throughout the course of the series. Like the same plot gets kind of recycled a couple times. Yeah. Um, like I just watched an episode in season five, the masterpiece society where oh. there's like that group of people that needs to be removed for their own good and they don't want to leave. It's, it's very similar right. to this episode. Uh, but I do love that female character that data interacts with this in this episode and like it kind of showing how like, like that, yeah, the data's kiss at the end where he just doesn't react to it. And yeah. She's really sad. She, so yeah, she, he, he has to go down there by himself because the planet's filled with radiation yeah. Yeah. and he's the only one not susceptible to it. Right. And, and he does kind of some messed up stuff down there. I mean, he destroys their aqueduct. Um, he's like, look, I, here's your resources down the toilet. You guys either can leave or, you know, just die on the planet. Because, uh, and, you know, it's just, it seems like counterintuitive of things that Starfleet are about. It's like, sure, they're trying to save people, but, you know, you don't interfere with people's personal choices like that. Yeah. yeah they they talk about this sometimes, how, like, the prime directive doesn't count with humans. Right. Yeah. yeah. What were you going to say? Oh. Riker puts hella pressure on him, though. Like, yeah. he's like, we can't go down there. He's like, but they won't leave. He's like, figure that shit out. Like, <laughs> yeah. like he's like, I don't care. <laughs> like, figure it out. They need to get off that planet. Yeah. You know, um, so he's like, OK, I guess they'll give a stirring speech because <sighs> she suggests like reverse psychology. So he's kind of being corrupted a little bit, being away from Starfleet, like on how to like, you know, deal with humans you know i am but one man with one weapon yeah exactly (laughs) like he gives this moving speech you know and like uh i don't know and then he gets kissed which was awesome and the shelliac are in this episode too shelliac corporate one of my favorite like one-off alien species that shows up they (laughs) they always kind of struck me as like 
almost Cylon esque, like and from the the classic Battlestar Galactica. You know, oh, like, interesting. I mean, just the way the that they're they're shot. <laughs> Me neither. You remember there was like, like of, uh, you know, little uh, twinkly lens flares coming off of their thing, mm-hmm. and they, they uh-huh. the, the big. I don't know. It's just how it kind of struck me. But um, Cylons also like to kill this. humans. So. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love the I love the set for the Shelliac because it's yeah. just like a it's a dude in a sparkly robe beneath like some like chandelier. Some sh- yeah, yeah. there's like a chandelier that. above and below. It's uh, simple. It's effective. You and know? they're yeah. just like it the, great. the yeah. biggest dicks in the galaxy. Right. I, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I've always. I've always that's the, probably my favorite part of that episode is the Shelliac. Uh, the stuff on the planet is fine. It's like it's not as entertaining as I feel like a lot of other episodes are, you know. But there's like nothing I dislike about yeah. it at all. And rewatching the episode, I always enjoy it. I always love the kiss at the end. Uh, that, I mean, not not on my favorites list at all, but it's like all, solid TV, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I and, and I love uh, the the solution that they come up with at the end yeah with the where uh, it's uh, a oh wait species. let's read the treaty that they're yeah. being like sticklers about yeah like, wait and use it on them no one no one thought about that earlier <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah this is a huge civilization we've been here for quite some time but there are no lawyers or anything <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's some really good Picard diplomacy uh, finding more interesting things to do with Picard. I read this letter that Picard wrote to, or Picard, that Patrick Stewart wrote to Gene Roddenberry saying, I, I don't remember if I've talked about this on the show or not, but I'll say it again. He was talking about like all these things that he would change in the show. He says, yeah, this is a great show we got going. I think it's really interesting. He wrote this, I think, towards the end of season one. And he said, uh, I feel like, you know, the captain's not getting interesting enough things to do. He's always stuck on the bridge and it kind of makes him a less powerful, interesting mm-hmm. character. I feel like Picard needs something more romantic, like you tease this uh, this sort of tension between me and Beverly, and it never came back again. He lays out like a list of things to do to make Picard a better character, and all of them were implemented, <laughs> like especially by season three, mm-hmm. where Picard really kind of starts to become the central like thrust yeah. of the show. He's just like a he's like a giant erection of truth that just yeah. like powers his way through the galaxy. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> <laughs> Say erection again. <laughs> erection. Thank you. Giant erection of truth. For, for the listeners at home, I just want you all to know that when he said that, he had his arms stretched out with a fist at the end. I was fisting uh, in Audrey's direction. With his arms sort of fisting towards the future. <laughs> with his erection. Uh, all right. Episode three, The Survivors. Uh, this is the episode in which an elderly couple is found on a planet living on a patch of grass that's beautiful and everything else on the planet is dead and they have to figure out why they have been left alive by the attacking aliens. I love this, the woman in this one, that lady. Yeah. Played by she Cocoon? As an actress. She was Mrs. Ockmonic on ALF. Holy shit. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. That's a deep pull right there. Wow. wow. Another show about aliens. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was a huge Elf fan. I, I loved Elf. I was listening to a Kevin Smith podcast where they were just like bagging on Elf is just like the most vanilla <laughs> show. And I'm like, dude, Elf was amazing. I'm going to have to fight Kevin Smith now. When I was Jesus. getting this cat tattoo done, the guy next to me was getting an Elf tattoo. I was like, whoa, don't let your tattoo eat my tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Anne Haney is her name. I just looked that up. So we have the Uxbridge family. We have this Kevin and Rashawn. Episode. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, this whole episode is all spoilers. 
So I'm never going to say spoiler alert right. again <laughs> after that time. I just said it just now. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so Kevin has uh, he's like a crazy being who has like crazy powers over the galaxy and he has reached out and wiped out this entire race of people because they killed his wife and then he recreated a version of his wife to to still live with sorry i wasn't under the impression that he killed them i didn't realize that oh he I, killed them yeah okay. he did he definitely yeah killed Damn, them. that makes killed me like him way less because i thought he just she died in that attack and he's like well what well, happened was that he wouldn't kill anyone and oh, then she right. wanted to fight so she went out and this was like i'm in a fight with the rest of the colonists or whatever and mm -hmm. then they got obliterated and he's like fuck and then he like killed everyone mm -hmm. yeah yeah right? he like with, the, right? with yeah you got yeah. that perfectly okay. right with a single <laughs> thought he like just he wiped out this entire race wow. from existence because yeah. he's that kind of power here's what bothers me about the ending of this episode huh picard is like I don't know who I'm going to tell. I don't, there's no name for your crime. Like we don't have any laws against it. And I'm like, you don't have any laws against <laughs> right. genocide. Right. That's yeah. what you're telling me. <laughs> yeah. I kind of dug like, that. Not I was like murder, like murder, yeah. not even that. Like, <laughs> like they don't have I think what he's like saying is like, it would be like trying to arrest Q. Like you can't arrest a God. And I know you have problems with God figures. Did you have, did you have that issue in this episode? I actually did not. And I actually am kind of coming around on Q. Fuck yeah! Well, this season is where you should come around on yeah, Q because this way he kind of gets charming. Really great episode where he gets stabbed in the hand with a fork. Oh yeah. uh, my god, that's maybe my favorite Q episode. Yeah. I don't know. Tapestry it's my favorite is so thing good. That Guinan's ever done. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a big part of it though. Like the history with him and Guinan too yeah. kind mm -hmm. of like brought a lot to it. Yeah, like he's more of a real character and less of a god character. I mean, he's a human in that one. So yeah. So there you go. Not a god character. Yeah. Uh, I I kind of liked that speech because Picard's basically saying that like your crime is so outside like what any human has ever dealt with like how can a human punish you uh and it seemed to me that picard got the read of this man who's basically punishing himself right and what could picard do that would be worse he didn't say any of that though <laughs> i thought it was i thought it was there like i thought it was like I you know thought, I, I guess so i didn't get any of that though i thought huh. that it was just kind of a cop-out he's like we obviously can't punish this god character but he didn't say like there's nothing we can do to like punish this man yeah like, but, i mean why why would he it be said, he i don't know what to categorize this as. yeah well how like, about well, putting with... troy in a coma can you re like yeah deal with that? <laughs> dry. like yeah. you assaulted troy like <laughs> you committed genocide and which includes murder like i'm not saying he should have gone to jail i'm not saying they should have done anything totally you know? i'm just saying like come on no, I mean, it's come interesting. On. Like, come I, on. I always, not only did I buy it, but I thought it was kind of a cool character development moment where you see Picard uh, showing that he doesn't have this sense of superiority over anyone in the galaxy, mm -hmm. you know, except for the Ferengi. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I feel like they probably should have, uh, probably should have locked him up. Mm. Really? How do you, how do you lock up an, uh, a being like that? Well, I think he would have gone. He obviously felt very guilty. Yeah. He might have gone to jail. He like might have just gone like, sat there. Yeah, he might have yeah. just gone. And, and I mean, let's be honest, like prisons in, in the Federation are pretty sweet. Like Tom <laughs> Paris, he basically got like the entire island of New Zealand to himself. It's just, it, I mean, depending on the plot of the particular story, <laughs> like sometimes, prison. like they, uh, what's the episode? I, it might be this season or was it season two where there's that uh, genetically altered warrior who That's breaks out of their season. jail? Oh, yeah. 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 That guy's fucking badass. Yeah, he's, he's hot. Cool. He's hot, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think losing um, the guy's wife is punishment for him enough. Totally. 
Uh, I mean, he's already just kind of dealing with that. Yeah, but why do we get to make that call? I don't think we why, do. Why does Picard get to make that call? He's just some guy. That's what, I mean, you know, Picard <laughs> is, is not making the call because he recognizes that he, he doesn't have the authority. Like, But by not making a call... He yeah. is making a call. Oh. That's what I'm saying. This is tricky. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> this is a tricky one. Yeah. I, it's an interesting thing. Like, I mean, and fuck, like, this is why I love this show. It's because you, because yeah. they do shit like this. Right. Where Good episode. Two thumbs yeah. up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, good episode, yeah. for sure. Uh, moving on. In my opinion, the first great episode yeah. of the season. Uh, who watches The Watchers? Yeah. Great episode. Fantastic episode. Yeah. This is one of the ones that I try not to watch too often because every time I watch it, I get really emotional. Yes. And, uh, and, and then I, I also try to like savor it a little bit, you know? Oh, yes. With the Mintaka? Oh, yeah, yes. the Mintaka. I, I, yeah, the, this was a really good episode. Mm-hmm. It was really well written. some really cool makeup. Yeah, and Riker yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love how they wrote the scenes where he's trying to like make her understand. He's like, the hut, the hut speech. Yeah. Yeah. So good. <laughs> yeah. 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 So this is the episode so where they beam down. What well, we have uh, the first time we see a duck blind, which will come yeah. back in a big way later on. Oh, but yeah. the first time we see a duck blind, where we have. Uh, oh, and I should say, Ian, um, Audrey has not seen past like season five. Okay. Uh, so we'll no spoilers. Yeah, we try to avoid okay. spoilers beyond the season we're talking Chances about. Chances are I will forget. How I, <laughs> like, I, that's what I do. Um, <laughs> so they, they're observing this sort of like proto-Vulcan society. Yeah. These scientists watching them behind a hologram of a rock in a duck blind. And they're, they have an issue and all of a sudden they've been discovered and then they get basically kidnapped by these people. So they've broken the Prime Directive accidentally. Riker and Troy go in to try to bring these humans out and they get discovered also. Well, it's just one guy that gets discovered. Palmer like, falls out Palmer, a window. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then Troy and Riker decide that they have to go in for a rescue mission. Yeah. Yeah. So and they, then, oh, right. Because then the aliens see them beam out. They, they almost kill the one dude. And they have to beam him up. And oh, yeah, and fix him. Right? right, and then he has a vision That's of the Picard. where the whole, the like, Picard. Uh, the whole so good. Yes. happened. Like, <laughs> this is, uh, I think this is the first time where Star Trek has successfully shown how a technologically advanced society can appear to be gods to yeah. people who are not technologically advanced. Because all the information that that man has, I would think... I might think it was God, you know, yeah. right. for sure. And that <clears throat> becomes the problem. Like they've broken like, the prime man, directive. God really loves carpeting. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's God has a, carpet. has a puffy zipper. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, they, they just deliver it so well where you really would buy into this character believing that Picard is God. And like the dilemma of that is huge. And the stakes of this episode are so high because they have polluted a society mm -hmm. in the worst yeah. way, in the way that the prime directive was like explicitly set up to prevent. Yeah. Right. And they, Sarah, go ahead. Ever since the original series, the prime directive as a story device has always worked best when it's been, uh, what I like to call sorry about colonialism stories. Because <laughs> <Right? laughs> the prime directive really is a response to the era of colonialism on earth, right? That, yeah. that we came and we just fucked up a whole bunch of like native civilizations that had been there for, you know, hundreds, thousands, you know, years. Just, yeah. it's, it's exactly that kind of story. Like the Federation came in, they made a mistake, they got discovered, and then they just destroyed the the <laughs> the way of life of yeah. these people. 
without even trying. Yeah. And watching your heroes be the bad guys completely unintentionally and then having to find a way out is such good writing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, this episode, I feel like really raises the stakes for the series uh, and they continue to raise throughout the season. Plus, I, I personally like I, I really dig the, uh, you know, we're not going to let them backslide into superstition. Right. With, yeah. the, with the implicit judgment of that being a backslide. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like we. Yeah, this was like the, the this episode taught me a lot about religion, too, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, because uh, I mean, I was very young when I saw this and I never really became religious. And I think in large part, maybe because of this very episode of Star yeah. Trek, which kind of like showed me that um, making forming solid beliefs off of things that you can't understand might be a limiting thing, you know, right to your mind. And it turns out it could just be aliens. Aliens. Yeah. <laughs> aliens. He did the aliens meme thing, you guys. He so did, yeah. In did. case you were wondering. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, um, I just love um, the way they ended up having to deal with it. He's like, uh, f- we fucked up. Just show him everything. Yeah. yeah <laughs> like, totally. Show him everything. He's been drawn understand. back. Yeah. Like, that's why I love the hut speech so much. Like, oh. he's, you know, like, where did you guys live before you made those huts? Oh, we lived in caves. He's like, why do you think you don't live in caves anymore? She's like, well, huts are better. And it's like, well, yeah. <laughs> that just kind of keeps happening until suddenly you're like in space. Ah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I just really, really loved that speech. Also, the costumes and set oh, yeah. were amazing. Very well episode. done. You know what surprised that, me? That village gets used Again and again and again I'm throughout sure. even this uh, series, this season. And that location, um, yeah. Vasquez Rocks. Oh, yeah, that's, they, that's like a mainstay. That, that, yeah, that's, but, that's, where, that's where Kirk fought the Gorn. Right. Like, there's so many Star Trek things have happened there. But, yeah. but the way that they dressed that set and lit it and, it, like, it just... It was different. It was alien. Yeah, yeah. I loved it. At the, on, so the, on Netflix, yeah. at the very end of season seven, there's a behind-the-scenes thing with Jonathan Frakes kind of hosting your way through the, the set. And he takes you onto the set that they called Planet Hell. And you get to see down, there's like, there's just like a, like a swimming pool sized cave in the, in the ground. And that's where they shot all these cave scenes. <laughs> and like, that's where they shot a lot of like the interiors of like village sets and stuff like that. They just redressed it for like a thousand things. Mm. Uh, anytime they needed rock walls, that's where they were. And it's so weird to see it from like the outside. I need to see that. Yeah. The perspective yeah. <laughs> you've never seen before. I, I think they have some spoilers in that. So let me watch it again and tell you when you can I'm see it. I'm not going to watch it until I'm done with okay, my cool, journey, cool, cool. but I'm just saying, yeah, <laughs> I, I really want to see it. Uh, so did anyone here watch Californication? No, I was uh, present during a taping of one episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I love that show and I've seen every episode and there's a actress on that show who plays the young woman in this episode. Uh, what is her name? She's, uh, what's his name's wife? I used to work for Hustler <laughs> in LA and, uh, Wait, what? yeah, David Duchovny filmed a scene for Californication in the Hustler store one early morning. We weren't allowed to make any noise. Like we shut down the store for a couple hours. There was a nice buffet cart outside. Um, so I met David Duchovny, gave him coffee 
And then about a month later, I saw the Enigma at a grocery store. So I was like, two characters from X-Files in one month. Yeah. All right. Wow. Awesome. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I thought you meant like Hustler, like. Yeah, like Larry Flint. No, but I, oh. like, my brother used to work for Hustler, but he was, like, a photographer. Yeah. Oh, I worked in the retail location yeah. in Los Angeles. I sold porn to Samuel Jackson, true story. Oh, huh. cool. He's wow. a bad Did he use a Capital One credit card? The <laughs> <laughs> show is not affiliated with Capital One. Uh, so the, the woman's name, it's uh, Pamela Adlin from Californication, credited as Pamela Seagal as OG, the young woman in this episode. And I didn't even recognize her until the last, like, so like two times ago when I saw this episode in the last couple of years because I had watched all of Californication at that oh. point. She's also like one of the most famous voice actresses out there. She, what like, did she do? Her voice is like all over the place. All right. And then we have come already to the bonding. Oh, that's, uh, that's a good one. Yeah, this is uh, Ronald D. Moore's first episode on Star Trek ever. Yeah. The man who would go on to rule Star Trek and then rule Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Very and then Outlander. Yeah, is that any good? I haven't seen that. It's pretty good. I've seen a couple episodes. I, I want to catch more, but, you know, it's got to show up on Hulu before I... Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ron Moore was known in the writer's room as the guy who was, like, the Klingon guy. Like, if you want yeah. to write an oh, episode right. about Klingons and Klingon culture, Ron Moore was the guy from this point forward. This is the one where... Uh, a little boy's mother dies. Is this the Marla Astor episode? It is, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Marla Astor dies and her son... She's with Worf when it happens. Yeah. So Worf kind of takes responsibility for this young boy. Uh, hence the bonding. It's a Klingon ritual. But this is a really disturbing episode. And it's one that I find very difficult to watch, especially as a child, like difficult to watch. It was kind of traumatizing for me as a kid. Because, I mean, your biggest fear as a kid is, you know, your parents died. your parents, yeah. yeah. And this kid not only has to face that, but his his mom keeps coming back as this other alien. And right. it's and that's going to mess with you. Yeah. It's totally going to mess with you. It's yeah. super fucked up. How did you guys feel about this one? Yeah, it was definitely eerie. It's just like, yeah, I don't even feel like the alien's intentions were good or well-founded. It's just like, you can't, a child that young is like hard to deal with that emotion in the beginning or just like just losing your parent and then having her back and forth and back and forth and like is what's real and what's not. And, but I did like the episode because it helped you like get more backstory on Wesley and how he dealt with his, losing his father for sure. Yeah. Um, and get some emotion out of wharf too, which is pretty awesome, yeah. which helps set you up with like him and Alexander later on. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all my struggles with the episode, I still think it's like a great episode of television, yeah. you know, like a very challenging episode to watch, but challenging in a way that's like healthy and uh, you know, like formative for a young person to see. Right. Yeah. I, I thought it was really real how uh, Wesley didn't really want to talk about it yeah. for a long time. You totally. Know? Like not until the final scene really was he able to even say anything. And then it all came out into the open. He was, you know, Troy really got him to be like, well, were you mad? And he was like, yeah, I was mad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and it finally came out, you know, that yeah. even blamed Picard for it for a while. Yeah. Blamed too. Picard yeah. for it for and a this, while. And like, this kid blames war for it. Like, it's the first person that told you right. that yeah. you lost your parents. Like you're automatically going to throw blame and on, onto that person, whether they had anything to do with it or not. Yeah. Right. Why did yeah. you come back and not my father? Yeah. 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 And like Picard and the crushers, mm -hmm. you know, Picard was in command of the stargazer when on the mission that, that, and then Worf was in command of that away team. So oh, wow. Yeah. It's like lots exactly. of parallels there. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's a really good way to put our characters in a position where we have to learn about them through the external plot device. And that's something that this show starts to do pretty consistently is like, what do we learn about our characters because of what's happening in the outside world? And I think that's in so many ways, like what makes it such a great show is that the characters are, are really the core of it and character mm -hmm. development is the core of it. Yeah. And in a lot of the same way that Lost kind of did that, I feel like Lost kind of took that from this show. And I've even heard Damon Lindelof say things that kind of allude to that, uh, that, and I think that's why Lost resonated so well at first with so many people is because it was a, a true character show. And that's, oh, yeah. that's what I love more than anything else. Mm -hmm. Like I, if I can fall in love with some characters, I'll watch them do anything. I mean, you know, there's so many great examples, but this being my prime example. I mean, that's why Nicholas Meyer is such a great director and writer on Star Trek with like Wrath of Khan and, and yeah. Undiscovered Countries because Definitely. they're purely character focused movies. Yeah. Like Wrath of Khan is Kirk learning to cope with growing older. Yeah. Like that's the emotional core of that movie. And I didn't like the movie until I figured that out. And then I couldn't, couldn't figure that out until I had gotten older. Like right. when I saw Sometimes. it as a, a kid, I didn't get it. And as an adult, I was like, oh mm -hmm. my God, this movie is amazing. Sometimes <laughs> things like that hit you way later in life. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. Okay. This, I can completely relate to that more. Isn't there something like later in like when Wesley first um, applies to Starfleet Academy and he's given a scenario where like his dad died, the same kind of scenario where he had to save somebody and they couldn't. Yeah. Oh, season yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Not season one. No. That, that happened when he was tested in season really? one at yeah, the, the Academy. Yeah. yeah. Starfleet like entrance exam or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Starfleet entrance exam yeah. right, right at the end of season one. And I know test. that because that's right before conspiracy because that's when uh, Remick shows up for the first right. time. Because <laughs> that's the episode where Remick's on the ship trying to find the conspiracy uh, <laughs> aboard the starship. Oh, right. Where he's like. Yeah. And oh my God. I was talking to my buddy Andrew who's been on the show before and he told me that he met the guy who played Remick and oh, that guy is like a really accomplished playwright and oh, he, wow. he's like out and about in the theater scene and, and Andrew like ran into him got to oh, meet very him cool. huh. really awesome yeah uh, shall we move on any other thoughts on uh, the last scene I just really liked I liked watching the actual like the beginnings of the bonding oh, yeah. ceremony mm -hmm. I, it, 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 I get very emotional so I yeah. like shed a little tear I was like mm -hmm. you guys are family now man Great. Yeah. <laughs> There's definitely like expanded universe novels in which that Jeremy Astor comes back. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, he is he was... is a part of Worf's family, but yeah. never again in the show, and that's really upsetting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh I always kind of thought like my own personal hypothesis is that the alien that kept coming back as Jeremy's mom was the same aliens that like uh had adopted Charlie. Evans from the episode Charlie X oh, of from the Charlie X? series. Interesting. Right? And so, like, had Jeremy gone with them, he would have also turned into, like, you know, an omnipotent asshole. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it's the same aliens that left that boy behind in Future Imperfect, where Riker... Oh, yeah. Where, like, he tries to make Riker think he's, that he's his dad. Right. There's so many aliens out there that <laughs> manipulate people. And that turns out maybe really maybe bad some parents. of them are the same. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, up next we have Booby Trap, another wonderful oh, episode. Yes. Wonderful, fantastic. Love this episode. Susan Gibbs, yeah, or Gibney, right? Susan or Gibney, Gibney. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. Uh, playing uh, Doctor Leah Brahms. 
designer of the Enterprise's engines. Yeah. Well, not actually playing Dr. Brahms in this episode, but playing a holographic version right. of Dr. Brahms. Because as we meet her later, because, you yeah. Yeah. That, that <laughs> she's a little different. Super awkward later on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is the episode that establishes that Jordy sucks with w- dating. dating. Yeah. He's yeah. just uh-huh. the worst. Uh, which like, which they revisit oh, oh. again and again and again and again. <laughs> Jordy never gets laid yeah. for like the seven years that he's in space. Except for the one time with the lady and the dog that might be a murderer. Oh, oh Aquiel. Yeah. That's right. You're right. That's right. That's the one that time episode, he has a relationship that like kind of well. sucks. Right. Like <laughs> that's one where I just never really got on board with that episode. Uh you're probably not there yet, RJ, are you? I don't think so, no. Yeah. Uh, so booby trap, uh, the enterprise has to get out of a booby trap in an asteroid field and to pro troubleshoot the troubleshoot the problem. Jordy creates a hologram of Dr. Leah Brahms, the designer of the enterprise to help him out. And he falls in love with her. But he also tells no one either. Cause it's, it gets into like Barkley territory totally. where he like creates this dreamscape of like my perfect ideal world. And he starts to feel like. He should like it's guilty pleasure and he should be shameful of it yeah, almost. Well, he knows it's weird. Yeah. Well, he didn't do it on purpose. Right. Like he's not like trying to create an escape into that. He just fell in love with this person and it's just not a real person. It's because she it happened to Riker, ship, you know, in one one zero zero one zero zero one. It happened to Riker when <laughs> What <laughs> with the uh, in red. I remember yeah. Minuet. Minuet marveling at the Again, concept. Future Imperfect, Minuet comes back. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, what a like that's one of my favorite fan moments of the whole series yeah. in Future Imperfect. We'll talk about that when we get to that episode later on. <laughs> and that's in season four, right? I think so. Yeah, we'll do it next time. Um, but yeah, so I mean, people falling in love with people on the holodeck is a real concern, honestly. Like, I don't know how it doesn't happen more often. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Minuet just... No, not Minuet. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Brahms being like the perfect woman for Jordy on the holodeck. Like, she really is an embodiment of the ship. And I, I've said this before. I think the reason that Jordy and Data are Data best friends them, yeah. is because Data is the closest thing to being friends with the Enterprise that Jordy can ever have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, like a walking, talking embodiment of a starship or of a machine, just the way that Jordy loves machines. That's Data. That is the Dr. Leah Brahms on the holodeck. And just watching him like struggle with that woman in the date in the beginning of the episode oh, on so the awesome. beach. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So with the violin. With the violin, yeah. And he's uh, such like a suave, small, cool character. Just to see him be so hapless with women was just such a juxtaposition well, and interesting <laughs> character choice. I don't know if I'd call him suave ever, but like... <laughs> But I I do like that earlier Guinan was like telling him that he tries too hard, basically. Yeah. He's like, well, well he wasn't trying. I'm not trying. Right. He's like, you're she's like, you're doing a great job talking to me. And he's like, I'm not trying with you. And he's like, she's like, my point exactly. Uh, and so he puts himself in the situation where he has time to bond with somebody that yeah. has a lot of, quote unquote, shared interests with him. And he kind of starts to discover that, like, he's not trying. He's just in this like closed quarters but the problem is, is she's not real so it's just right you know <laughs> it's practice practice makes perfect he's yeah. the only <laughs> unless you're Jordy. unless you're Jordy. <laughs> <laughs> but he's the only member of enterprise that has a disability and i think that that has a lot to do with his self-esteem you know you think so oh, i don't I think, think so. so i just watched an episode where the masterpiece society where the guy was like uh like Jordy doesn't get along with them because like if he was born in their world he would have been like terminated as a fetus basically right. yeah well he, uh, he would never have been born because and the reason right. that yeah. he saved the day was because he was born wrong right yeah. because of the technology in his visor and he talks in that episode about how he's never really considered himself to be disabled it's just a part of who he is yeah. i've never i've never really gotten the vibe from Jordy that he was so. ever embarrassed by that yeah. visor I, I think that always, he's just embarrassed by his lady skills. <laughs> I did always love, though, in the first season how he was 
the guy driving the shit. They let the blind guy. Right. Drive. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's a very different character in season three than in oh, season easily one yeah. for sure. And also, in, I mean, see, he really comes into his own in season two, but mm-hmm. season three is when he really becomes kind of three dimensional. Yeah. Uh, like season one, he's just like the flyboy pilot, you know, yeah. you don't get any real sense of, like, you can't imagine Jordy in season one, not getting laid. Right. No, he's just yeah. like I rolling really in pussy it... in season one. I'm like <laughs> sure of it. I don't think I thought that either, but I, but I never thought about it. And yeah. I think that's part of what, you know, him being so one dimensional. Yeah. And then season three, like finding out that he can't get a date or, or the dates that he gets, he blunders horribly. It's really interesting. <laughs> you know, I relate to that. I've been there many times. <laughs> so one thing that I, I always wanted in this episode is because the drafting room was, was on Utopia Planitia at Mars. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And like, okay, I get, you know, 1988 or whatever, like they didn't have the budget or the technology to like, you know, just have a window with Mars in the background <laughs> but like for the remasters. Come on. Couldn't you just like cut something out there, composite something in? That would have been so cool. I did love like didn't they were able to see in the shipyard right? Yeah, out the window. I did love that. I thought that was super cool. Tons of work bees. And also, I think my favorite name for any place in the universe is Utopia Planitia. Yeah, I've never said this before, but this is something that I have thought for a long time. Like, if I were ever to be on a place and be able to choose its name, that would be it. Utopia (laughs) Planitia, coolest name ever. I love it so much. I'm with you. And this is the episode where Picard gets to fly the shuttlecraft to get them out of the booby trap at the end. And it's so much fun. Anytime you get to see Picard sit at controls and work the controls. Right. Like I just watched the episode where they all lose their memories and Picard is at like the science station in the back of the bridge, just working away at the controls. Uh, so it's so funny to see him do that because you're just not used to it. Let's see. Was the solution, the solution at the end, am I remembering it correctly that that was um, where they, they did something to the power that the thing was feeding off of? Or is that a... They, they turned the... Enterprise off, except for like minimal thrusters, and then they had the. You have to be within a certain amount of space to see the the spatial distortions. Like you have to be a certain distance from the spatial distortions. Oh, that's right. And, and so Picard, the shuttle has to go out front to right. navigate Stay, through like, that. Okay. Yeah. And turn Jordy left, had turn to right. do things. Jordy decided to do things manually rather than. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was his breakthrough. Was automatically. We yeah. turn everything off. Yeah, we turn everything yeah. off, and I just do it by myself. Yeah. Because I can't, you know, we can't account for human intuition. Yeah. And yeah. that was like a big thing. Which so, must have been maddening for an engineer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so at this point in the season, I'm sure that Michael Piller has taken over because he wasn't the, yeah. the lead for a couple episodes. They realized right away the new guy wasn't working. They replaced him with Michael Piller. I think it happens in episode three or four of the season. So by this point, he's running the show and we are hitting like... Yeah, it, was, it was the bonding that was... Was it the bonding? Episode, yeah. Okay, yeah. Like we're really hitting our stride at this point because the next episode is the enemy. Another one where Jordy just saves the day. Yeah. Jordy yeah. had a really good couple episodes. Mm-hmm. He really did. And this episode is another of my, another one that really sticks out to me as being yeah. awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is the first appearance of the final uniform. I think Jordy's wearing it. Like they start to kind of like mix it into the crew. And I was trying to pinpoint the episode, my last watch through. I think it might have been this one, if I remember correctly, because Jordy puts on this brand new uniform and then falls into mud immediately. And I was just like, <laughs> oh, how did they dry clean that shit? You know? I thought it was really Replicators. cool. I remember specifically thinking, like, yeah, they're getting into some raw stuff now. Like he is like covered in mud. 
He's MacGyvering his way out he's of a ditch. He's using his phaser to like, or his gun, what is that thing called? Phaser, yeah. Yeah, uh, he's using it to like melt metal and like make a mold, you know, like. Yeah. It was, it was cool. Yeah, <laughs> that, whole, that whole opening teaser was just yeah. amazingly good. It was so different than anything that they had done so far on yeah, the show. Yeah, it was yeah. so good. Jordy falls <laughs> in a ditch and they can't find him and they leave him there. Because <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. The, they're evolved human beings. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is the episode where Jordy and a Romulan spy are... What's the name of this planet? I love this planet. What's it called? Uh, Galorndon Core. Yeah, that's right. Great planet name. <laughs> what about the incident at Galorndon Core? Like Tomalak saying right. that later. Or like, like when a- Picard and Tomalak are talking about that yeah. later. Oh my god, I love it so it much. It sounds like a really cool genre of music. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally like thrash metal. Yeah. <laughs> I play hardcore Galorndon core. <laughs> um, so uh, Jordy has to learn to work with this Romulan to get off the planet. Because uh, will be your eyes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because uh, like a kung fu movie where like one guy doesn't can't walk and one guy just can't punch and they like team up together yeah and like the one guy without legs is riding on the back of the other guy with legs and he's yeah. doing all the punching and fighting and it literally happens <laughs> that way in this yeah. episode like yeah. yeah uh bakra centurion bakra that's his yeah. name right yeah so they they have this crazy adventure together on the planet wesley saves the day with his neutrino yeah. beacon right uh you get the stubbornness of a klingon leading to someone's death Okay. Oh my God! Is that no? That's no, not this that's episode. Not this that's episode. uh. Oh, that's it's, not, it's, um, it's another Romulan. The defector. Episode. Yeah, what I have that's coming up real about soon. That yeah. One. yeah. Uh, that, that, that episode. Oh my God! Yeah, we're almost there. Uh, yeah, this episode is kind of setting up the the main villain for the season, which is going to be the Romulans. Uh, they realize, you know, they tried to introduce the Ferengi, didn't quite work. Yeah. They introduced the Borg, and like, that's awesome. We're going to bring that back, but they're okay. not quite ready for it yet. Yeah. So even at the end of season one, they teased that the Romulans were coming back, and now they're here, and now we're, you know, in in a dirty ditch with the Romulans uh, in the neutral zone, you know, like, or on the, on the edge of the neutral zone, I think. At yeah. And, and, and that's one complaint that I have about the appearances of the Romulans in this season is that like the Romulans are just in Federation space all the time, <laughs> which is a blatant violation of the treaty of Algeron. Yeah. Uh, like, that to be fair, we fly deal. into the neutral zone all the time, too. Um, well, yeah. This but 100% like... is the one where Cle- Gorf won't give up his blood for the Romulan. Oh, okay. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Oh, I totally thought that was the defector. Yeah, because when Tomalak comes back and is like, "What? you've you destroyed my my um, ship. Oh. And like, no, we didn't. And we're going to try to save your guy. And then he, like the guy dies. And Tomalak is like way more pissed. He's You're like, right. right. And then yeah. he's about to they're about to go to war when they beam back to the bridge. Mm-hmm. And Jordy and the and then, other guy are together. And, yeah, he's and, like, and the other guy's like, no, he saved me, though. Like, yeah. Have my back. Yeah. <laughs> Newbie Kayla correcting all of us. We're all wrong. <laughs> OK. What's so- funny is that we all have. <laughs> phones the thing open right now yeah i'm literally i'm literally just looking at like the title and the picture and then talking out my ass so uh yeah but i i I, so it's good that that was this episode then because that was um boy two complaints in one episode yes Um, (laughs) was that why was in what universe would Worf have would been it, a compatible blood donor? Yeah, or Klingons and Romulans. <laughs> right? Well, maybe like, that's why the Romulans wiped out his parents like, in the first place, because they had all the good organs. Oh, man, I love thing, that. I think it's great. For one thing, Klingon's blood is, well, depending on if it's the undiscovered country <laughs> or uh, everything else, Pink. either red or yeah. purple. Mm-hmm. 
Romulan blood green. is green, yeah. like Vulcan blood, <laughs> which the, who, Probably who like they are an minute. offshoot species of. Yeah. And, and they have a, a Vulcan doctor, Dr. Uh, Salar, something like that. Like serving on the ship, yeah. she would have been a compatible donor, and she's all like logical. She would have got it and like, <laughs> yeah. done, like not had any. She must not have problem. She, she really must positive. not have been there that day because we haven't seen her since season two. We yeah. haven't seen her since the schizoid man. But like at the very least, I mean, you know, crew of like a thousand or so people. Yeah, like there had to have been at least one Vulcan. Yeah, what about that kid who's half Vulcan who lies about it? Yeah, crewman Tarsis. Yeah, Tarsis. Simon yeah, Tarsis. what about him? Good old yeah. Simon Tarsis. You're, you're right. This could this this show could never happen. <laughs> <laughs> but I have to say, <laughs> so to me, it always you're made right. sense because Worf is one of the only like pure blood aliens that we regularly encounter on the ship, um, and his blood would be different enough. He's the only Klingon, so his blood is going to be different enough from everyone else on the ship that if if they don't have a match, his would maybe be the most likely. Like maybe they can't replicate, you know, complex <laughs> things. So maybe they can't replicate blood, uh, but maybe they can filter Klingon blood to work somehow. Uh, yeah, you know, I always like, I always bought like it. Like a hail mary, you know, like yeah, I don't know, like I don't know. But, but it's it, also like having <clears throat> and like having the injured Romulan on the ship was having one one negotiating card on the in the Enterprise's pack. Yeah, like they can't really just—they're not really just going to beam him over to the Romulans and be like, "Oh, here you go, fix him." Like <laughs> right. we're going to try to fix right. him and then like use that to get our guy back down on the surface. And then, oops, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oops, he's dead. Uh, I really liked that moment. It's I, pretty harrowing. In some of the special features, they talked about how that was like, like, like shouting matches in the writers' room about whether or not Worf would, would give up it. his blood. And I think they made the right call. I think, that, oh, yeah. like seeing seeing Worf take a hard stance for the first time where he like can't cross a line because he's Klingon, they should do stuff like that more often. You know, I mean, really showing you that someone can do something despicable to us, but, but doing the reverse would be despicable to them. And mm-hmm. sometimes like with a cultural difference like that, there is no right answer and everyone has to do what works for themselves. And I would say under any other captainship, like he would have been forced to do it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. Kirk totally would have made him do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Plus, I mean, you know, the number of times that Worf got shot down, yeah, like right. him getting a chance to Should do some shooting down yeah. must have been really satisfying. No, stand down, Worf. Yeah. <laughs> right. Worf, what do you think we should do? Kill them. Not no. yet. <laughs> uh, let's try something else first. Like, why do you guys even bother asking? You know the answer. Yeah. Kill them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, what, what do you think we should do? Well, I would open diplomatic talks. Wait, are you serious? No, kill them! <laughs> okay, coming up next, we have The Price. An episode uh, that I have mixed feelings about, but overall I'm very grateful for, for a couple of really important reasons. I'm guessing one of them starts with a V. A V. For Voyager? Yes, that's the one. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, this is the one where there's a negotiation going on to buy a wormhole. And Troy falls in love with a dude. Which is like, just buy an ant farm. Like, you'd have plenty of wormholes in that thing. Uh, sorry. <laughs> that was like the, the, that was like the dad bod of. That was the dad bod of dad jokes. That was, that was intense. No problem. I haven't laughed once, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not laughing at that. Sorry. I like you as a person, but no. Sorry. We do have to share this couch still. Uh, this is the episode. Who, who brought it up about Troy's outfit changes? That was you, Audrey, right? Me. Yeah, that's this one. Good outfits. Yeah. 
first appearance of Troy's love of chocolate. I do. Oh, is it? I'm pretty sure. Is this the one where she like basically has a mouth orgasm in front of Riker? Right. Man, that scene is hot. (laughs) Oh my God. As a young boy, that was a intense moment of sexual awakening. (laughs) (laughs) That was, that was the moment. Yeah. If, if I'm wrong, ladies and gentlemen, please send emails to not 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 the foot massage part no. with the oil, which I was grossed out by, not because he yes. was massaging her feet, but because then he went like and started touching other stuff. Yeah, the the betazoid like, dude with, his, with the oil all over his hands, and I was like, <laughs> dude, like you can't just touch towel. all of her shit. Like, clean your hands off. There's oil all over your hands. Like, yeah. come on, you're this living episode... in an advanced society, like. <laughs> Uh, that guy's such a creep. Like he's oh, a yeah. total creep. How does Troy fall for such a creep? Is my question. He was paying attention to her. <laughs> yeah, because they're both empaths. Yeah, he's half Betazoid, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, but yeah. shouldn't that have allowed her to like pick up on the creep even easier? It took, it took her he a while to even know love, that he was half Betazoid. <laughs> right, right. Because she was like, I can't tell what you're thinking. No one's ever done mm-hmm. that to me before. Uh, and he's like, wow, it just, I just must be like blinding you with like all my sexiness. And then it turns <laughs> out like, no, I was just blinding you with my abilities that I didn't I'd, tell you about. It'd be nice to have Luxana on that episode to have, you know, um, push her, her daughter into a relationship with another Betazoid. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I the there's a couple moments in this episode that I really really love, uh, and an overall episode that I think is, has some issues and is a little shaky, like not the strongest, you know, showing from Next Generation. But the moment when that creepy dude, what's the character's name? Devanoni Rall. Yeah. Okay. So when Rall is talking to Riker in Ten Forward and kind of saying like, "Are we gonna have a problem that I'm moving in on your woman?" Um, Riker gives him this like speech about how. Uh, like Troy can do what she wants because she's her own person. And it's like such a great speech. Yeah. Like the guy's trying to goad Riker into being like jealous or uh, being protective. And he's just like, he's a creepy jerk. Yeah. And Riker's just like, Troy's going to see through you in a second and she can take care of herself. And I don't need to be in this situation, you know, like it's going to be fine for her and not great for you because you're obviously immature. Yeah. It it was so good. You and I have to worry about is this negotiation and I'm probably going to crush you. Yeah. (laughs) It's one of those moments where Star Trek really kind of proves itself as far as saying that men and women are equal. Mm -hmm. Like that's a character whose natural response to a situation is like true equality uh, in a way that like really shines such a positive light on Troy's character. And I, I just love that moment because there's, there's moments in this episode where I question Troy, you know, like kind of being so in love with this guy mm-hmm. who's obviously a scumbag. Um, yeah. Cause like, she's so, in, she's so in tune with all that kind of stuff, but is this the one where they have episode or a scene with her and Beverly, like, yeah, Oh, that's the thing that yeah. really Maybe. awkward. Yeah. yeah. Awkward not, scene. I really liked aerobics. that scene, but, but pro- probably because they were being pretty open, like for network television, like yeah. she's like, who, who cares about love? If he makes your toes curl back. Yeah. And I was like, yes, <laughs> I know I do girl get it I do love that scene it's so ridiculous like the costuming is insane oh. the spandex yeah that's one of the outfits that I was praising though I was like look yeah. at that yeah I mean it's definitely better than what uh, people wear when they play Ambo Jitsu you know oh, God, yes <laughs> but yeah it was uh, yeah I don't 
because that, that episode has like this great feminist moment, but it, then it also has the thing that's most pointed to of maybe the whole series of like women being objectified is that scene. It's interesting. It's like, I let's mean, have an entire scene where the women just talk about the guys. Well, it's more like what they're wearing and what they're doing. I mean, I, I love the content of that scene, but then the outfits, I feel like makes it a little like, is it, is it bad if something is like just really, really sexy? Like, does that make it not, you know, feminist if it's really sexy? I don't know how to feel about that. I, I mean, I feel like uh, you're allowed to wear what you want. Yeah. So if you want to dress sexy, that's up to you, you know? Yeah. That, that scene to me felt like men putting women in a situation they wanted to see them in. I, I think guess. that that happens a lot. This is like, you know, yeah. early TV, you know, early, not early TV. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. This is old TV. There's a lot of sexist stuff that happens in Star Trek, which yeah. I'm actually okay with because it was from a different time. But I always point this show out as one that kind of really tried to move forward for sexism. Yeah, absolutely. It makes uh, strides. Yeah. You know? And it's interesting that this episode has one, like two events that are kind of on the polar opposite scale yeah. of that. Because Riker's speech about Troy was so like surprising and refreshing and, and dead on to me um, that it kind of was like a saving grace for the episode. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But I guess it goes both ways, like women, like showing a woman making bad judgments, you know, men can make those bad judgments, too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So yeah. like bad judgment like, for love is like so one of the most common tropes shows, for both sexes. Me, it just shows that me that Troy is also a human being, you know, like yeah. she's going to be like, oh, this guy is really nice to me. I've been under a lot of stress lately. I'm into it. You know, I'm just going to turn a blind eye to what's obviously like slimy about this guy. Yeah. I yeah. love when delegates come to the ship and this like yeah. hook up with someone because yeah. it happens a lot. <laughs> it's kind of awesome. awesome, you know. It's not like you're gonna see them again. Yeah, can you imagine <laughs> like, living in this like world? Low consequence. Yeah, I'm sure they figured out STDs by now. Like if <laughs> if like some hot person <laughs> comes to the ship, you can just fuck them and then go on with your life. Oh man, well, I'll never the see future them again. I want to live in. Like a, just... I'm pretty sure they figured that out after Kirk. But B, yeah. um, I mean if. If anything, you can just go into the transporter like Pulaski did in a really <laughs> terrible episode, and like, <laughs> you know the biofilter, yeah, yeah. strand of your hair will just remake you as your previous self. Uh, I you can just I'd forgotten about that. I know. No. You can just it's beam home from any orgy in the galaxy, <laughs> and the biofilter will take away all the STDs you just got. It's like a nice hot shower. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> A nice I'd hot th sonic shower. I'm going to make sure that I keep a, a, a box of my hair, <laughs> like, just in case. Just in case we invent <laughs> yeah, transporters. Yeah, in exactly. case of rapid aging, open this box. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, next up we have The Vengeance Factor. This is uh, the episode where there's this young woman who's actually, like, super, super old that Riker falls in love with. Oh. Uh, and she's actually trying to kill all the members of this tribe, and Riker has to kill her in the end. And it's a big dramatic moment. This episode feels like it's straight out of season one to me. Like it, it, the the set design, the all of it seems like a huge step backwards yeah, to what the show I used like to be. It. Yeah, I don't I don't dislike it. I just like it in the way that I like seasons one and two episodes, not in the way that I like season three episodes, man. <laughs> um, but I do I do love the moment when Riker has to kill his new girlfriend. And also, like Riker, what are you doing in this episode? He's like hooking up with this girl who has like no personality who is obviously hiding huge things from him. Does she breathe and walk? I mean, yeah, like, I that's, Riker, that's what attracts Riker, really. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. 
But it's like it's it's actually a pretty good contrast to what we were just talking about, though. Totally. Like somebody making stupid decisions because yeah. they're seeing what they want to see. Totally. Yeah. You know, I just wish there was a scene where Riker was like working out with Worf. He's like, I'm going to take that girl to Risa. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> for some reason, he's really played by Wesley cool. Snipes all of a sudden. <laughs> girl, yeah. I'll marry you. <laughs> what, I want to see Worf in some like leotard. Doing like Maybe those stretches with Riker. <laughs> yeah, he's like he comes off the holodeck doing some sporting event at one point in like a skin tight thing. It's well worth seeing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wonder. I wonder if it was like intentional to have these back to back episodes where R- Troy falls in love and then Riker falls in love, because they set them up as you know the will they won't they, and then oh, yeah. we're in a very much like won't they at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well. A few episodes later, they're like making out. Which episode? Menage a Troy. Oh, that's right. You're right. They go to the planet. <laughs> yeah. <and laughs> just lays it on her. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Kissed him with the beard. It happened yeah. right there. <laughs> oh, that's right. And and she like she made comment of that. Yeah. I believe like <laughs> later on she's like, a beard before. I've never kissed you with a beard before, and I'm like, bullshit, Troy. <laughs> <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> you kiss that bitch all the time. Uh. Yeah, I, I, this, this episode, it's okay. It's fine. It was a nice murder mystery kind of thing. Yeah. You know? yeah. I do like the scene where they like look at all the images and they have to enhance it. And yeah, they're like, wait, what, that one woman with the cloak on back there kind of looks like her from the profile. Yeah. Like, what? The girl who's like, we can only see like a third of her face and the computer reconstructs it and <laughs> constructs it. And oh my God, it's Riker's girlfriend. <laughs> bum, bum, <laughs> yeah, it's a very like monster of the week ish episode. Yeah. That's true. One of the rare moments where you get to see someone completely disintegrated by a phaser. That's fun. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not really too much to say about this. So There's two of those in over. this season. That's right. With the most toys. The most toys, yeah. Which is so fucking good. Okay, peeps, we're going to pause right there. I'll bring you the rest of this conversation next week uh, when we have the continuation of our TNG Season 3 panel. If you want to follow these fine folks on Twitter, you can follow Ian at Ian128K, Kayla at Unnecessary, spelled in an interesting way, U-N-E-C-I-S-S-A-R-Y. It's a new word. And Audrey has a new Twitter handle, at Jeff underscore the best of. Jeff is her new stage name for a new project that she's been working on. And the first single for that was just finished, uh, I think yesterday. Was it yesterday? I mastered it. I should know when I did this. But it's such an awesome song. It's called Alvarado. And I asked her if I could share it with you guys on the podcast. So this is not released yet. This is a very extra special sneak peek at, uh, at the new song from Jeff. This was actually produced by Johnny Unicorn, very familiar name to the people who listen to this show, and uh, a panelist on Sci-Fi on Trial. You can definitely hear the the acoustic signature of of Johnny Unicorn in this song, but this is all Jeff. This is all all Audrey, and it's pretty fucking rad. So I'll leave you with this this week, and we'll see you next time. So, uh, we've had quite a bit to drink, ladies and gentlemen.